Welcome to Northern Latitudes. I'm Bill Alt, and in today's program, Nature is Nurture, we'll be looking at the power of nature to help heal. I'll be joined by Dr. Melissa Lem, director of the PARX program here in Canada, and Rana Schreiberger, who works as a hiking guide and naturalist in Banff National Park, and over the last six years has integrated a practice known as forest bathing through her company, Forest Fix. Welcome to Northern Latitudes, Dr. Lem. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. I'm going to get right into it. What is Parks Prescriptions? Park Prescriptions, or PARX, is an initiative of the BC Parks Foundation, and we launched it in November 2020 and then are spreading out across the country. Um, and it's essentially a platform where licensed healthcare professionals can prescribe nature to their patients to improve their health, both their, their mental and physical health. Now, it's a prescription. So is it a written prescription or is it just a talk or what is it? That's right. So when you sign up for our program, we'll actually mail you a package that has um, essentially a customizable nature prescription file in it that you can then use to uh, enter in a prescription for your patient. So typically um, what we have as a standard recommendation in our program is that you spend at least two hours in nature each week and at least 20 minutes each time. Um, and that's based on research that came out in 2019 showing that those are sort of the ideal times um, for nature dose and nature amount. So yeah, and then what we do is we we either email it to our patients because now we're in kind of this virtual medicine world um, or we'll hand it to our patients if they happen to be in the office. And there is research showing that when you write something down, um, it increases patients' motivation to actually carry out what you've recommended. So that's why we do uh, we do emphasize that you hand something to your patient or, or email them something concrete um, at the end of your recommendation. So the two hours, is that kind of the minimum? Well, this is something that's been picked up by a number of other groups, and it's true that there is evidence showing that just spending five minutes in nature can actually improve some kind of temporary short-term mental health outcomes. But there was a big study that came out in 2019 um, from the UK that looked at about 20,000 adults, and what it showed that was when you spend 120 minutes or more recreationally in nature each week, that's when you start to report significantly greater health and well-being. So that's where the two-hour recommendation came out. And as for the 20 minute recommendation. Again, even short bursts in nature can help. But there was another study that came out in 2019 showing that around between the 20 and 30 minute mark is when your cortisol or your primary stress hormone levels actually drop the most efficiently. So if you're a busy urban dweller or a, just a generally busy person in general, um, that 20 to 30 minute mark is where you'll get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of your nature experience. Okay, so you just mentioned the cortisol drop. Now, what other things have been, what's the science behind all this? I mean, cortisol and stress levels and all that sort of thing, but you know, what, what's the, what's the science behind it? 
Well, there are two major theories as to why nature is so good for our brains. And the first one is called attention restoration theory. So essentially when we spend time in busy urban environments in front of screens all day, they often have hard edges, kind of flashing lights, um, crowds, different things that constantly focus us, make us uh, have to focus our attention to navigate around these obstacles. Um, and so what that does is it tires out our powers of conscious attention and increases fatigue and irritability. Whereas spending time in nature, it's actually the source of soft fascination. So it's interesting, but doesn't demand our conscious attention over and over again, like cities do. And what that does is it re restores your powers of attention and reduces that irritability and fatigue. Um, the second theory is called stress reduction theory. And essentially when you spend time in nature, it allows you to recover from st stressful um, situations and stimuli faster. So this comes down to an evolutionary basis. If you think about it, um, early humans, when they spent time in biodiverse environments, these had sources of water, um, sources of food, trees that you could use to build shelter and climb up to look, to look and escape from predators. Um, and so basically these early humans kind of hardwired this preference for biodiverse environments into their, into their brains and they've passed on those nature loving genes to future generations like us. So essentially from, you know, from head to toe, um, from our brains to our bodies, we're, we're basically evolved to want to spend time in nature. So I've heard this called the author, awe theory. Is that, is that a correct thing or a correct term of how much the awe in nature can help us? Right. Well, that's another kind of body of evidence that looks at when, when you sort of feel in awe of your surroundings or something else, that's when you can get some mental health benefits. So certainly if you think about, you know, looking out at a, at a sunset in front of the ocean or, or um, climbing up a mountain and viewing your surroundings, that, that really can inspire a sense of awe. And I think you can get that sense of awe not, not just in front of the ocean or up the side of a mountain. You can also feel that sense when you really focus in on say, like a drop of, of water on a leaf or you know watching an insect crawl and imagine, imagining yourself kind of connected to the wider, wider environment. But there is research showing again that when you feel awe, that can also improve your mental health. So now it becomes a thing of, does the where matter? Does Is it deep woods? Is your local park, your green space, your local beach? What counts as nature time? That is a great question. And what's really interesting is that you think that those really kind of deep woods, remote areas would inspire better mental and physical health. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. But there's also a body of research showing that when you feel like you've had a meaningful nature experience, that's when you're actually getting those benefits. So um, that study that gave us that 20 minute uh, nature dose recommendation, they actually had participants self-define what their nature experience was. It could have been in their backyard, in their garden. It could have been in a local community park. It could have been up on the side of a mountain. But what they said was take your 10 minute doses of nature at least three times a week when you feel like you've had a meaningful experience and record that and record how you how you feel and we'll measure your cortisol as well. So really it can be self-defined. And I think to a certain extent, what we need to do, especially if we live in the city where there isn't as much access to this really biodiverse wild nature is find nature where we can um, connect to your local park, plant a garden, work in your community garden, get your hands into the soil and, and really slow down and notice what's around you. And I think, again, based on the science, we can get some of those mental and physical health benefits from that kind of experience as well. What does it mean for the future as we become more and more urbanized? Well, first of all, I think it's really important for us to recognize access to high quality nature as a basic human right 
given the fact that there are so many health benefits of spending time in nature and around nature, it's, it's a really, really effective public health intervention. And so for the longest time, for many, many decades, we've been building cities and infrastructure without thinking about the nature. You know, we build roads, we build these glass and concrete filled skyscrapers, and we don't think, okay, but how about the green space? Like how, how will that benefit humans? So I think it's really important for governments, municipalities, and, and, developers essentially to enshrine the right to nature um, into any kind of new urban development and actually kind of rewild our, our urban environments as well. I mean, something that really pointed out this, this issue with inequity to nature to me was um, this past summer in 2021 when we had the heat dome in Vancouver that killed hundreds of people. And the areas of the city that were the most nature deprived were the areas of the city that saw most people heading heading to the hospitals because of heat stroke and heat illness. In fact, the downtown east side, um, which is in, in downtown Vancouver, which is one of the least treated areas, both had the kind of the highest temperatures, but also 70% of admissions to hospitals in Vancouver Coastal Health came from that area. So I think it's, it's a huge equity issue. And so again, I think we just have to emphasize in all our urban planning, again, knowing how good nature is for us to make sure we have access to green space um, for everyone. And you hate to say it, but you think that would be easy in a country like Canada. <laughs> It's, yeah, well, you know, again, like you said, 70 to 80% of people are living in cities, right? And we have been developing cities in a way that's not that healthy for many decades. And it takes time, it takes money and effort to kind of reverse that trend. But I think we are making strides towards that. I know, I know here in Vancouver, um, Vancouver City, after the heat dome, um, one of the, the measures that the city staff pointed out was we need to increase green space. We need to increase tree cover to um, to improve heat outcomes and improve health. So anyway, it's 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 a trend. It's we're starting to recognize it more. I think your personal story is kind of cool when it comes to this stuff. You started and correct me if I'm wrong. You went to school in Ottawa for your degree, and then you ended up working in northern BC. And, That's right. Yeah, and then you then you ended up going to Toronto. And then now you're back in BC, but what's your story and how did you really come to this became your passion? That story I think begins when I was younger even. So I, when I was a little girl, I was born and raised in Toronto actually. And I grew up in a majority white neighborhood in the suburbs of Toronto. And I was bullied basically because I didn't belong, you know, on the school ground, I would be excluded from games. People would even call things out on the street. And um, when I was walking, we were one of the very, very few racialized families um, in our neighborhood. But what I found was that when I spent time in my father's traditional Chinese vegetable garden, in the park down the street, in the bushes and the trees on the sides of the school ground, that was one where I felt like I belonged and where I felt most like myself. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to, to undergrad at University of Toronto, actually, and then medical school at Ottawa. I always, when I felt so much time in the city, I almost, I always felt kind of uncomfortable, like, you know, there's something I'm missing here. Um, and then eventually, you know, I found when I would go for runs sort of through different greenways or spend more time in nature, that was when I would feel better. And I hadn't really come across that, the, that body of research yet. But it was really after, like you mentioned, practicing in northern BC and then moving to essentially downtown Toronto and feeling edgy again, like even though the work was so much easier in Toronto, you know, in northern BC, I was delivering babies overnight. I was running the ER by myself as a new graduate family physician with no specialist backup, dealing with sick, sick acute inpatients, you know, again, without specialist backup. I loved it. And I realized it, it was with when I was deprived of nature, you know, when I moved from 
the mountains and the misty rivers and, and the bears and, and the bald eagles, you know, down to um, back to Toronto, where I was surrounded by skyscrapers and concrete that I realized I was missing nature. And so I remember basically there was this one time there were streetcars rattling by my front window. I was looking out the window and all I could see was concrete and glass and kind of like a little square of sky with the CN Tower in it. And I thought, I think I'm missing nature. This is what the problem is. And so being you know, a good doctor who's, who's grounded in evidence, I decided to do a literature review to see if there was evidence behind the health benefits of nature. And I was just astounded at the time to find there was this decades deep body of research about those health benefits of nature for your mental and physical health. And so at that point, I thought I wasn't taught this in medical school. I had no idea, even though I've sort of been a tree hugger all my life about these health benefits of nature. I thought I need to make it my mission to educate my colleagues and educate the public about this because this is just not out there. And here we are, you know, more than a decade later, I've helped launch the park prescription program with the BC Parks Foundation. I'm constantly talking about it and writing about it. And so I think that idea that nature is essential for our health has really, really entered the mainstream in a way, especially recently with with all our different announcements and uh, and all the publicity we've gotten. Why do you take, think it's taken so long? Do you know, I think this is kind of a return to the basics. So as you mentioned, earlier physicians, earlier concepts of health would emphasize going outside into nature, right? Like when patients would go into these hospitals, they would regularly have their time outside in the sunlight, you know, for their health, even though, again, they didn't have this massive kind of evidence base. And then I think in the mid 20th century, we started to move towards more kind of reactive and treatment-based medicine where we would, you know, someone would come up with a, would have develop a health condition and then we would prescribe the medication to deal with the health condition. And we weren't think of, thinking about prevention as much with the advent of all these modern medications. So really, I think this move towards more preventative medicine where we're emphasizing healthy diet, adequate exercise, healthy sleep, and now nature time as that fourth pillar of health, it's really a move back to, to an earlier way of practicing and thinking about our health in a, in a more holistic way that includes the outdoors. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You just mentioned the fourth pillar. That was going to be my next question. So you've taken it away from me. Um, but it, it is interesting because it's like, like you said, you've developed your own view because of how you lived and what, you, you know, how it changed for you. And then you had to bring it back. How do you apply that to your own self now? Like, and you're, you have a family and, you know, how do you apply it to your own, own day, let's say? Yeah, I want to be honest with you, Bill. It's been hard lately, you know, because of all the different demands on my time. You know, I'm a family physician. I'm a mom. Um, I'm president-elect of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, director of park prescriptions for the BC Parks Foundation. There are a lot of different roles I play in my life. Um, so something I've, I've noticed recently is I really have to make the time to spend time in nature. Otherwise, I'm just not performing or thinking as well as I can in, in all these aspects of my life. So for example, what I've started to do recently is after I drop my son off at school, um, I take a walk to the beach. I take a walk to any local green space I can before I start my day, before I would run home, you know, start my day, start opening up emails, but that's just not a good frame of mind to start the day. And so I'm doing that, taking at least half an hour sometimes to an hour to doing that. Um, and then just making sure no matter how tired I am in the evening, a tradition our family has is going out for a walk. Um, and sometimes I don't quite make it there. Sometimes I'll like collapse on the couch and fall asleep. But most of the time we do, we're lucky to be surrounded by, again, we're seven, eight blocks from the ocean. There are beautiful parks nearby. So again, just that half hour 
um, spending time outside with my family really helps us connect to each other and and gives me more energy for the next day. And then of course on the weekends, I, I'll take that time if I can to spend more time in nature, like longer than that half an hour um, kind of nature bite. Um, we'll go for long walks again in our neighborhood to our local beautiful forest. Um, Pacific Spirit Regional Park is, is where we spent a lot of time during the pandemic when being outside was safer to be inside. And so, yeah, just incorporating nature into my everyday life where I can, but I've definitely tried to make it make it a priority more lately, seeing how how much it really has benefited me when I when I've been so busy. Yeah, when I when I saw your, uh, your bio, I thought, I don't know how she does any of this. Uh, <laughs> I think that too, Bill, actually. <laughs> if you had, and I think you just answered the question, but if you had one recommendation for people, or families, you know, and how to get started down this path, of, you know, not waiting for a prescription from a doctor necessarily, but actually what can they do for themselves and how important it is? What would you say? I think it's important to give yourself permission to be healthy and to pursue nature time as, as just as essential as brushing your teeth before you go to bed at night, um, just as essential as, as eating healthy food, right? I think that prescription from a healthcare professional often gives you permission to prioritize it. And so you don't, again, like you said, you don't need a prescription from a doctor to spend time outside. It'd be wonderful if you just did it on your own. But but I think just, again, prioritizing it, making sure you get at least 20 to 30 minutes a day um, in nature. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see amazing results, I think, for your health and for your mental health in particular, if, if you prioritize spending time in green space. Dr. Melissa Lem is the director of PARX. You can get more information for you and your doctor at parkprescriptions.ca. I work as a naturalist and a hiking guide here in Banff National Park, and I have for about 25 years. And in the last six years or so, I started integrating forest bathing into my work. And uh, I do a lot of work with leaders, leadership development and various folks like that. And what a difference it's made in terms of helping people get grounded, relieve, be relieved of stress, and then see their lives differently because they've had this complete recalibration. Um, so it's been just amazing to see the transformation of people in just a couple of hours after spending a concentrated time in nature in this way. It's called forest bathing. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe the practice comes from Japan. Yeah. Um, and so can you explain to me a little bit about what it actually is without giving away any trade secrets <laughs> and how you became involved in it? Yeah. So you're right. Uh, it, it did originate in Japan. Uh, what happened in the 1980s, uh, Japan went through a transformation and they went from a pastoral society to a tech society. And in that transition, they noticed that stress, anxiety, depression, suicide rates, as well as chronic disease numbers went through the roof. And so they they thought, you know, let's let's see if we, if we get people outside, if that's going to help them manage their stress. And it did. So in the early 2000s, they they started to do research in earnest. And the question that they held was what happens when people are exposed to trees? So it turns out a whole lot of good things happen when people are exposed to trees. And so this spurred this whole industry, which they call Shinjin Yoku, which means to bathe in the atmosphere of the forest. 
that's forest bathing. So you get to wear your clothes and it's really, it's bathing in those, in, in the wood oils. So um, what they figured out, they figured out a whole bunch of things. So if you've ever read an article that talks about how nature is good for you, it stems from them and all this great research they've done. It's grown from there, but it stems from them. And so they realize that when we spend time outside that our cortisol or stress hormone goes down, our blood pressure regulates itself. It goes up if it needs to, it, go down, it goes down if it needs to. Uh, it helps our heart rate variability. It helps reset our nervous system from the stress side to the calm side. Most everyone in North America has a very stressed out nervous system. Uh, it helps reset our brains. We can think properly. And the cool thing that they figured out is that trees shower themselves in these things called phytoncides. And it's a way, it's the wood oils, right? And so it's, it's the way the tree will protect itself from a, a, a an attack, like a fungal attack or something like that. And what's interesting and fascinating, though, is that as humans, we've evolved in the forest. So when we go in the forest and we breathe in those phytoncides and we get them on our skin, those boost our natural killer cells. So with those are like those are your tumor fighting white blood cells. So what I find fascinating here is that what's good for the tree is also good for us. So this is where we get the name. And they, they sparked this whole industry. It's huge ecotourism industry of these Shinjinyoku parks. So there's like 65 of them in Japan where they go specifically to do Shinjinyoku. Um, so that's where it started. And, and this came to North America through Florence Williams who did an article on this in Outside Magazine I think it was in 2012 and you know talked about this whole idea and then this fellow in the states called amos clifford uh who's a guide and uh he wanted to find a way to help people you know receive the medicine of being in the forest um he loved this idea and so he started a training program called the association of nature and forest therapy and i did my training with him in 2016 and uh, i was one of the first in canada the first in alberta and uh, I, I'm now a trainer with them. So I help train guides all over the world with, with this association. So there's some things that are similar to the way the Japanese do it, and there's some things that are different. So, you know, it's it's just to meet the cultural needs of various folks. So that's a little bit about the history. Right. So you bring it here, and it's obviously successful for you and your and your clients. So you've developed it into, um, or sorry, I've seen you have a virtual version as well now. Now, how does a virtual version work? Yeah, well, you know, it's that's a really good story. The, um, that came out as a result of the pandemic. So the week the pandemic, where we all went into lockdown, March 13th, um, uh, we, we knew that there was a whole bunch of people who were super stressed out and they needed to just relax a little bit to, you know, yeah, <laughs> relax. And so my colleague, Gita Stilwell, in... Uh, Portugal started it. She says, you know, I, I'm going to just try this because when we take people through a walk, we have a what we call a standard sequence. We have a process that we take people in to this concentrated, uh, you know, experience in nature. So she said, I'm just going to try it. And I was on the line, you know, as I was on the line for her, her first demo group and it worked like a charm. So what we do is we give people a series of invitations. So we're inviting you into an experience to slow you down and tune you into your senses. Because when you do that, that's when your body resets itself to, you know, nature's rhythms and, you know, the senses and things like that. And um, 
So when I take people through, I give them a couple of cues as to, you know, put one earbud in, one in your shirt, so you can hear my cues and the sounds of nature. And then I'll start, for example, I'll start by tuning them into their senses, right? Just taking them through so they close their eyes or look down and I, and I do that for about 10 minutes. And then I invite them to go um, notice what's, uh, for example, what's moving in their space. They go do that for another 10 minutes or so. And then I give them other invitations that are sensory based. Um, it might be to listen. It might be to go touch things. It might, who knows what it is. It's inspired by the moment. And then I usually give them some kind of a solo time to just relax. And, uh, and then I end. And the, our standard sequence, as we call it, works like a charm. It's just set up in such a way that it helps the whole nervous system relax and calm down. And even if I did it for half an hour and I just do the first two, that would be enough for people to really feel the medicine of being in the forest. It's 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 the power of this sequence that we take people through. Right. So it's very sensory based. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How important in general do you think this is becoming as we become a more urbanized society? Well, I think with the pandemic, people are really seeing the need to get into nature more than ever. But um, I also think, sadly, that this is paramount importance because we have a mental health crisis right now. We already had a lot of issues, but I think the pandemic has totally pushed it over the edge, sadly. And honestly, Bill, forest therapy, nature therapy, this is the low hanging fruit of mental health. It's free. And once people learn how to do these things of tuning into their senses, the body recalibrates itself. This is what I find so beautiful about this process is that you don't have to be good at it. So I'm a meditator and I do yoga and all that, but I have to work at it. Like I have to work at calming my mind. But here I go outside, I tune into my senses and my body naturally starts to recalibrate itself and, and all of ours do. And it recalibrates itself to the, your natural state of being, which is equanimity. It's not stress. And it's very accessible. So I really think that this, I well, I, at least I hope that this is going to take off because this is something people can do to help with anxiety and depression. And like the research is just through the roof in terms of all the things that helps. I, I have one of my past mentees is um, she teaches medicine at Harvard. And I remember her in my in the training, and I I was like, Doctor Booker, why are you here? You know, you're you're a doctor, and you have all this access to stuff. And she said, you know, nature and forest therapy is this one thing I can give somebody that isn't just going to help them with their with heart disease or um, you know with their diabetes. It's going to help them with everything. It's going to help them with their nervous system, with their brain function, with their cortisol, with their blood pressure, with their moods, uh, everything. And she's like, she said, you can't get a drug for that. You can't get one drug that does all of that. And it's free. Anybody can access it anytime, anywhere. So I think this is, this is really needed right now. And I think people getting outside is great, but I think going with a guide and learning some of these little techniques will go a long way. And you know, we're seeing more and more healthcare professionals in. I just started a training three weeks ago just for healthcare practitioners. So I've got doctors, nurses, uh, psychologists, counselors, social, like you name it. And they're all here because they see the power of this simple practice can help their clients in ways that some of their other techniques can't. So uh, I really think it's the low hanging fruit of mental health.
you've seen lots of obvious um, benefits for people. What's one of the best stories you have of somebody coming to see you and then going, mm -hmm. wow. There's a couple themes that I see. So the first theme that I see after a walk, uh, it happens every single walk, people will say things like, oh my God, I need this. I need this just as much as I need to go to the gym. And I had no idea that this was missing in my life to the point that people will be in tears. So quite often what happens is kids spend a ton of time, at least they used to, uh, outside and that, that connection was naturally felt. You didn't talk about it, it was just right there, right? And then, you know, as teenagers, they get busy, they do, you know, and they make a life for themselves. And then at some point they come back to it and they realize that this is important and that they missed it. So, so I see that. Then there's other stories, and this happens regularly too. Is uh, so, for example, this story about uh, this woman. Uh, her name's Val, and um, she got laid off in Alberta. I, I would say it was probably about six years ago when we went through all those oil and gas layoffs. And uh, she needed to she needed to uh, readjust her life. She was an executive, oil and gas company, uh, but she couldn't slow down to do the necessary reflection to kind of reinvent herself. So her husband bought, bought her some time to, you know, ask me to take her out. So I took her out and I started the process, right? I started turning them into their senses, walking slowly. And we, <clears throat> excuse me, we were uh, near Lake Minnewanka in Banff. And there's this point where you come through the trees and then it's all open. There was a forest fire there, so it's all open. And she came through this threshold and she's just stopped and you could see something was rearranging itself in her being. And uh, I talked to her after or in a few minutes and she said, whatever happened here has happened in my life. And so I explained that it's a burn and, you know, burns create opportunity for new things. And she said, oh, my God, this is the metaphor for my life. This is what I needed. And this completely changed her trajectory. So this whole idea that when we slow down, our system starts to reset itself. What can happen is that one, we see clearer uh, because we don't have the, the white noise of stress. And two, nature can act like a psychological mirror for us. And we can see ourselves and our lives with more clarity and depth than perhaps we have. She said that she hadn't, felt like in, she said that in 10 minutes, so I, I barely started the walk. In 10 minutes, she said, oh my God, I haven't felt this relaxed in decades. I almost cried on the spot. I'm like, seriously, you've been living with all this stress and you have no way to undo it. I, you know, I just did, I did like a sense meditation for 10 minutes. Just this clarity that can come to us when we, we slow down and we recalibrate and we don't have to do anything. Nature does it, right? We just have to slow right. down, tune into our senses. Rana Shaberger is guide and trainer for the Association of Nature and Forestry Therapy. She joined us from Canmore, Alberta. You can get more info about Rana's programs at forestfix.ca. That's it for episode two. Thanks to producer Sarah Simpson and social marketing whiz Alina Simpson for helping me this week. I'm your host, Bill Alt, helping you find your way to Northern Latitudes.